And he is basically forced to leave town, and they take him by night to this place 46 miles away called Berea. And he walked there. This is quite a trip. This would be like us walking up to Hendersonville. So why Berea? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think it's because Paul, his chief strategy was to preach in synagogues. So he wanted to go to Gentile cities. I mean, this is in Europe. He wanted to go to Gentile cities that had synagogues, and he wanted to start churches in those cities. He wanted to preach to those in the synagogue first because they were awaiting a Messiah, and the Messiah had come. He wanted to connect the people of the Old Testament to the New Testament, the people of the Old Covenant to a new covenant. And it is likely that the Christians in Thessalonica knew that there was a great synagogue in Berea. There was a big synagogue in Berea. There was a thriving synagogue in Berea and many, many people waiting the Messiah there. Now, of course, this question comes up for history buffs. Not for you, unless you're a history buff. Not for me, because I'm not really, I do like history, but I'm not a history buff. I don't actually know when you graduate to that level. I guess it just depends on how many Netflix documentaries you watch or, no, the History Channel. How much you watch that? That thing's awesome. Um, anyway, the idea is if you're, if you're really into geography and you take, you know, careful, pay attention to the, you know, the places in the world we're talking about, you're going to think, why would there be such a presence of Jewish people that many miles away from Jerusalem. I mean, this is like, this is not next door. This is not Antioch, okay? This is not the town, uh, you know, 50 miles north. This is thousands of miles away in a place called Berea, in a place called Europe. How in the world, why in the world would there be a Jewish presence there? Why would there be a synagogue there? Well, I'll tell you this. I don't know exactly. I don't know exactly what, you know, diaspora, what exile forced them over this far into Berea, but we've done archaeological digs in recent years even, and we have found tons and tons of artifacts that confirm a big Jewish presence, a synagogue in this land that was known at the time as Berea. And so we see that the Bible is again telling us the truth, that this was a place where people were awaiting Jesus. They were awaiting the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. So Paul goes there. He goes to the synagogue. In fact, that's the first place he stops. A couple of reasons. Probably one is because this was a community gathering place, and Paul didn't have a place to stay. So one idea is he's probably coming to meet people, make connections, find places for him and Timothy and Silas and, and uh, Luke for those guys to stay. But he also has a much greater mission than just finding lodging. Right? He's not coming just to make interpersonal connections. Again, we see his strategy at play. He is coming to preach at the synagogue, to give them good news. It's the same thing we're doing here 2,000 years later. All the way over in the West, we're coming together to preach good news because we are the people of good news. That's why sometimes we're called evangelicals. You can embrace that title, not embrace that title. But you know what that means? And the reason we're called this is because that simply means the people of the good news. Paul's coming to bring good news to people who are waiting for good news. Some of you are like this this morning. You've had a week of bad news. You're waiting for good news. That's why we come to church, to hear the good news. And the good news is there is a new covenant 
between God and man. There is a new testament that we live under. All men who come to Jesus are made into a new creation. The old has passed away. All things are made new. There's no longer Jew and Gentile, but we are one new man in Christ. He gives us a new heart that fights against the flesh. We await a new heaven and a new earth where Jesus on the throne will wipe away all tears from our eyes and make all things new once and for all. We have good news. He comes to tell them, good news. The Old Testament has birthed a New Testament. The priests are no longer to be priests. They were there simply to point to the high priest who is the priest for us all. The sacrifices can cease, for they pointed to the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. We do not need the temple. Now we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. No need to light the incense, for our prayers can be lifted up to God anywhere and everywhere that we are. No need to eat from the table of showbread and to put that out every Sabbath for Jesus will now be our daily bread. He is the bread of life and he sustains us. That's good news. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. We're the people of good news. Paul is coming to people awaiting a Messiah and giving them good news. And when he does this in Berea, they do something totally unexpected. They do something totally different than everybody else. They do something very countercultural. They do something totally against human nature. They do something most people never stop to think to do. They do something that shocks the writer of the book of Acts, a guy named Luke, who wanted to make sure to note this. It was so out of the ordinary. They listen. And they don't just listen, they listen well. And they believe. Up to this point, Dr. Luke, writing the book of Acts, is like this town is characterized by its rejection of the gospel. This town, characterized by rejection of the gospel. This town, you wouldn't think it, but was indeed characterized by the rejection of the gospel. And finally, he gets to write something different in his history book of the church. Whoa, we got to Berea, and they actually were like, oh, okay. Yeah, that sounds right. They just listened and accepted and believed the gospel. This is emphasized for us in the scriptures by Luke so that we might know to be like these guys. The way that this is written, the way that it is worded, the way that it is emphasized right here in Acts 17, it's like Luke finally gets this bright spot on the second missionary journey, this, this, this wonderful change of pace, and he says, finally, some listeners. Look at verse 11 and 12. Right? He's preaching to the people. They listen. Luke honors them. Verse 11 and 12 of Acts 17 says, These, right, the Brian people, were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind. And they searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed. Also, the honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. 
In other words, even some of the Gentile converts to Judaism became Gentile converts to Christianity. Even the ones with money, even the one with, ones with power and prestige, the poor also, the regular also, in the middle also, lots and lots of people come to Jesus, believe in Jesus, trust Jesus, and start to follow Jesus in Berea. So today we thank God for our Berean brothers and sisters. We thank God for their nobility. Their nobility. Right? Paul, Paul, uh, not Paul, but Luke, the writer, uses that word. It's very interesting, isn't it? He says they were noble. That's not, I mean, that's a compliment. That's not, I mean, that's a pretty high compliment. It's not a compliment you get every day. My gut tells me not everybody in this room this week was called noble by a coworker or a parent or a child. Right? My, my kids, I think they love me, but they never came up and said, Dad, you acted nobly today. I think some of you love me, but I've gotten a serious lack of texts about my nobility from you this week. Not often we're called noble. Luke uses this very particular, very rare, very interesting compliment to describe them. They were more noble than those of Thessalonica. So does this mean that they were royalty? Does this mean that they were of noble birth? No, what he is saying, quite obviously, quite easily understood, is that they were acting noble in that they were acting appropriately or properly. Here's why they were noble. Here's why Luke favors their reaction to the gospel. Okay? Those in Thessalonica, which was the story we looked at last week, the story right above this story, you can read it for yourself in the early verses of Acts 17, those in Thessalonica did not want to hear that their knowledge of God needed to expand. And that's because they didn't love God. They loved their idea of God. However, those in Berea, they're searching the Old Testament, and they love God. And they want their knowledge of God to expand. They want their idea of God and the truth of God to match up, even if that means their idea of God has to go through some changes. They want God, even if this means we're embracing a new testament, a new covenant, we become new creations, and we have a whole new way of life. See, those in Thessalonica, they wanted the Messiah to be a military king. That's what they want. Restore Jerusalem. Make Israel a world power. That's their idea of the Messiah. The Bereans... They just want the Messiah, whether he's a military king or a carpenter from Nazareth. Right? The Thessalonians, they were afraid of new information because that meant they might have to change. The Bereans, they're excited about new information because that means they get to grow. The Thessalonians, the most important thing to the Thessalonians was being the teacher. The most important thing to the Bereans was being teachable. Luke clearly wants us to be like the Bereans. And if we're going to be like the Bereans, we have to get to the Berean heart, the core of the matter. And it's a question. 
In fact, I'd call it the Berean question, and here it is. We have to ask ourselves this corporately as a church. We have to ask ourselves this individually. You need to wrestle with this question, and this question is, do you want God, no matter who he is, or do you want your idea of God, no matter who he is? There's a huge difference. There is a huge difference. That makes a huge difference in the way we live, and the way we learn, and the way we are. The Bereans want God no matter who he is. And if you want God, you will be like a Berean in that you will do two things that they do. One, you will listen, and two, you will search. What makes them noble? They listen, and they search. And this is what all who really want God do. All who really want God listen and they search. If someone says, I want God, but they do not listen, nor do they search, they do not. As people who want God, we listen. We listen. It's a lost art. Right, but it says here in verse 11, if you look down at the text, that they received the word with all readiness of mind, or they received the word eagerly. In other words, they listened to learn. You see, there are two ways that we can listen. Only two. We listen to lecture or we listen to learn. One or the other. We listen to lecture or we listen to learn. You know people who listen to lecture. You might be people who listen to lecture. People who listen to lecture, they only listen for the moment that you stop talking so that they can talk themselves. They are not trying to learn things from your point of view. They are not trying to gain a new perspective. They are waiting for you to take a breath so that they can give you a lecture on why you're right, why you're partially right and where you went wrong, or why you're wrong and should be like them. These are the people who listen to lecture. This is how they listened to Jesus. This is how the Pharisees listened to Jesus. They would ask him questions. Mark 12 verse 13 says that they would go, the Pharisees would go to ask him questions to try to catch him in his words. They asked him about marriage in heaven. They asked him about paying taxes to Caesar. They asked him which commandment in the, New Testament, or the Old Testament is the most important. And none of those three times... Did they really want to learn anything from him? They had no regard for what he might answer. They were hoping he would slip up in his answer, since all three of these questions in that time period would have been a doozy. And he was hoping, they were hoping he would slip up, say something that was clearly wrong or clearly anti-biblical or clearly false, so that they could start a lecture on why he wasn't God and why these people shouldn't follow him and why he should be detained by the authority of the temple and given over to the Roman Empire. That's what they were doing. They weren't listening to learn. They were listening to lecture. If we listen this way, we must repent. This is not the Christian way to listen to people. This is not the Christian way to listen to friends. This is not the Christian way to listen to preaching or anything else for that matter. This is not how we listen. This is how they listened in Thessalonica. In Thessalonica, they let Paul go three Sabbath days into his whole Messiah thing. 
This guy, Jesus, he's actually the king that Isaiah is talking about, the suffering king, the servant king. And they let him go on for three Sabbaths. Why three Sabbaths? Probably because they're listening to lecture. They're waiting for him to say something that was clearly false, clearly misrepresenting scripture, fill in the blank. And what they were hoping for was a moment where they could catch him and begin to lecture him on why he needs to sit down and listen to the teacher. This is the way the Thessalonians listened. But here's the problem. Just like with Jesus, they never found a fault in his message. They couldn't, after three Sabbath days, they couldn't find anything to lecture Paul about. And so when people who listen to lecture don't get a chance to lecture, they get crazy. They, they can even, in this instance, get violent. You see, this is called pseudo-intellectualism or fake intellectualism. Pseudo-intellectualism, fake intellectualism, is people who put out this air about themselves that they are willing to debate, willing to have a conversation where we think freely, willing to kick things around and check out new ideas, but really they're faking it. What they want is to be the teacher, not teachable. And so eventually they will quit attacking your ideas since it won't work and they will attack you. This might be verbally, emotionally, or physically in the case of the Thessalonians. But eventually it won't be that idea is bad, it'll be your bad. Because they're pseudo-intellectuals who can't go, oh, you may have a point. They just can't utter that. You can listen to lecture like the Thessalonians, or you could be more noble than the Thessalonians, and that you can listen to learn. This is how the Bereans listen. They are actually intellectual in that they are hoping to learn something. They want to know about the Messiah. They want to hear you out. They want to listen to different things, the different ideas that they might have in hopes that a new glimmer of truth will show up and they can follow that trail to the truth. You see, these people in Berea were reading the Old Testament. And the Old Testament, over and over and over and over and over, promises a savior all we like sheep gone astray turned everyone to his own way so the lord laid on him the iniquity of us all so someone's going to take our iniquity micah 5 2 talks about a king coming out of bethlehem that'll that even though it's the smallest nation it'll rule the other nations so someone from bethlehem is going to rule over and over you can find in the old testament there's someone coming whose soul will not be left in Hades, but will be brought forth, brought up, out of the tomb, out of the grave. He will not see corruption like everyone else. He will not decay, but will rise again and resurrect. It's all there in the Old Testament, and they're reading about this, and they're hoping for this guy, the Messiah, to come. This is what they really want. So now, after truly reading the Old Testament, truly wanting what it promises, a true Messiah, which means a Savior, to take away their iniquity and help them rise from death one day, someone comes and says, I found the Messiah. And so they're like, do tell? They're, 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 they're willing to give this a listen. And what the Bible says is that's noble. That's noble. 
we need to know this as Christians. As Christians, we are willing to give everyone a listen. Okay, this is part of being a people of love. This is part of being people of the good news. We hear people out. Okay, we consider things from their vantage point. We thank them for sharing, even if they are wrong. Right? We're not afraid to not look like a teacher. We're not afraid to look teachable. We're not afraid to hear new ideas, or more likely, old ideas from new people. Because here's the deal, like the Bereans, we want God. And if you want God, not just your idea of God, but God, whoever he is, you will listen and you will learn. You will listen to learn. This might be from coworkers or friends or preachers or authors or fellow Christians in Griggs groups. You will listen to learn. This is noble. However, interestingly and notably, okay, this is very important that we hit this second point. If I ended the sermon here, it would not be true. Because it's only true if we add this second part to it. Nobility doesn't stop at listening to learn. They didn't just listen and take Paul's word for it. Whatever you say, bro, carpenter from Nazareth, healed the blind, got out of a sealed grave. Sounds right. All right, next, bingo night at the synagogue. They didn't do this, right? It wasn't that they just took it blindly. That's not noble. It's that it was married to the second idea of they listened and they searched. They listened to learn and they searched for truth from the scriptures. Look back down at the Bible. Look at verse 11 and you'll see this as plain as day. Verse 11, Acts 17, 11, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they listened, right? They received the word with all readiness of mind and, right, and this has to be there. This is critical. They searched the scriptures daily, whether these things were so. See, this is why we're not afraid to listen to anyone. This is why we are teachable. This is why we don't have to be defensive when we hear new ideas or ideas that contradict ours. We do not have to give some lecture to someone who has said something contrary to what we think because we can then instead go home and search the scriptures to see What's really true? This is noble. We must search. We listen. We'll listen to anything. And then we search the scriptures because we understand that what we learn may be true or it may not be true, and the scriptures will decide. And when I say we do this, I don't mean the deacons. I don't mean the elders. I mean like you. Individually, you should be a Berean. You can be a Berean. You're called to be a Berean. Like you. Now, of course, this assumes that the scriptures are the source of truth. And I was always putting this together and thinking through Acts 17. I started to think, okay, right there, I got to hit like 10 or 15 reasons why we know for sure the scriptures are true, right? And so I started thinking through all the things that we can point to about, you know, the truth of the scriptures and all that. Right? I'm starting to think through all that. And then as soon as I get through that thought, I realize I am totally going against this passage, right? Because the 
passage is about the opposite, not you listening to me and thinking it's true. The passage is about you searching the scriptures to figure out if it's true, why it's true. That's the idea of this whole text and of this whole sermon is not believe the guy up front. It's search the scriptures to see whether these things are so. That's the call to you. Listen, I don't ever want you to believe what I say because I say it. No good preacher, no no preacher that loves Jesus, loves the Bible, wants God for who he really is, no one would say, yeah, dude, just trust me on this. Whether it's me up here, whether it's Pastor Daniel up here, you are called to fact check. Fact check all you want. Fact check like those crazy people on the news after some dude talks. Fact check, fact check, fact check. That is actually, that's not discouraged. It's encouraged. It's commanded. And here's the funny thing. If you come up and say, well, you said this, but it really says that, and we're wrong, we will not be mad at you. We'll be thankful for you. I'm not mad. I'm like, oh, I, I didn't know this. I want truth too. And I'm just a dude. I'm not God. I'm not closer to God than you are. I'm not better with God. I'm not, I don't have some like, email, like e- newsletter from God. Like once a month, the pastors get this email like, here's truth. But we got to find it just the same. Right? And here's the idea is that if we're wrong, we don't deny it. We admit it. We admit it. And sometimes this makes people take a step back. It's very interesting. I'm, right? Uh, <laughs> there was a guy, this is pretty recent, not super recent, but recent enough. There was a guy, I was preaching. I remember it was Sunday morning, I was preaching. And luckily it wasn't the main passage I was preaching from and the main point of my sermon, which is good. But it was just some passage I mentioned off the cuff. Like I said, oh, like in this verse. It says this, and it means that. And I just said that in my sermon about a verse in the New Testament, and I kept rolling. And there was a visitor here that day who we love, we thank, and I'm thankful for him, and I wish he'd come back because he was awesome. He came up after the service pretty quick, and he pulled out that verse, and he's like, no, no, I don't think that's what that means. It means something else. And I go, you might be right. No, I could have been wrong on that. That might mean that. And the look on his face was like the look, like, it's as if he had uh, won a sweepstakes or something. Like, I think he was expecting an argument, like me to, like, come back at him, which is not, I'm more of a lover than a fighter anyway, right? And plus, it was close to lunchtime. But the idea was, like, he's coming at me like, hey, that's not what that means. And I think he's thinking, I'm going to go, here's why it does mean that and why you're wrong. And I go, oh, that might be right. You're, I could have been wrong on that. And this dude, I mean, he got this deer in headlights look. I almost felt bad for the guy. I almost laughed because he was just like, whoa. And he literally said this. He didn't know what to say. He goes, well, well thanks for being so humble with that. And I said, dude, I'm the best at being humble. <laughs> that's a joke. You guys need to laugh at my jokes. Okay. I said, that's not true. That's obviously a joke. Okay, that's going to be the one quote that's going to get on YouTube somewhere, and Griggs is going to be boycotted, right? I was like, dude, yeah, man, I got the gold medal for being humble. I put it up, you know, on my roof so my neighbors can see it. The idea is it wasn't a big deal for me to potentially have been wrong. I already knew that I could potentially be wrong when I was 17 and got saved. The whole reason I got saved is because I could see that most of the time I'm wrong, And I needed a guy who was perfect 
to take my sin, to bleed out for my sin, to die in my place, to rise from death, because without that, I would die and never rise. So we encourage you to be a Berean. Search the scriptures daily to see whether these things are so. Now, we also want you to know how to search the scriptures daily. Okay, because sometimes you go to search the scriptures daily and you see something that makes no sense. You're reading along in the Bible and there's something that's almost startling to you. You're like, that, that, what is this? I didn't know this was in this book. It just kind of takes you back. Like this morning, I took a walk with my daughter, Marin. We were walking around. We live in a little townhome complex. Walking around the townhome complex and I noticed the sign. The complex is called Four Oaks and the logo has three oaks. The sign says Four Oaks Community, and then the logo is a picture of three trees. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not a graphic designer, right? but I feel like this one was easy. <laughs> like, I could have done this on, like, Microsoft Word. Like, pick the tree and then make them four, right? Copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. Co you get the idea, right? There's things like that in the Bible where you see it and then you see something else and there seems to be contradiction and difficulty and doubt and you're like, well, I searched and now I don't know the truth. I'm more confused than ever. Hey, join the club, okay? That's part of being a Christian. I'm there with you. Fellow doubters, okay? Unite. I'm the leader of the club. There are things in the scriptures that are difficult. This is why they had to search the scriptures daily. That word daily is in there for a reason. It's not just thrown in. It's to say, look, this is a wrestling match with the truth. This is a fight, and it's a good fight. This is work and labor. Reading your Bible every day has been presented to you as something that is so heartwarming and nourishing and fun and why don't you do it every day and then the preachers get up and they yell at you like you can't even read your bible every day but they never tell you yeah that's really tough to read it every day because it's a whole ton of work like it's work it's labor it's difficult we shouldn't be presenting this to people as some easy thing to do it's like no we're asking you to sacrifice and we're asking you to use some of your brain power that you need for your paid job to do this job, which pays in a different treasure, a treasure in heaven. But we want to be able to equip you to do it. So I'm going to nerd out for a minute. I hope that's okay. I brought some friends with me so you could see just how lonely I was in high school. <sighs> These are some of my friends that I wanted to show you, okay? Because I want you to have some knowledge to some degree, and this is not going to be everybody's thing, I know, right? But I want you to have some knowledge of how you might, not just me, right? Not just a pre not teacher, but you might search the scriptures daily, okay? So you can find any of these right down the street, Heritage Green Place, Hughes Library, right here, the downtown library. We'll have all of this, but I'll show you my collection from the front. The first thing you're going to need is this. I feel like that football coach who starts every season saying, this is a football. This is a Bible, right? This is a Bible. In fact, what's interesting about this is this is actually all you really need, right? This is really it. This is the book you got to be in every day. When they search the scriptures daily, they busted out some giant scroll. You get to just 
open pages or more likely unlock your cell phone get off of facebook twitter insta snap whatever get on the bible app and scroll a different way okay this we search this book daily to see what is true this is what you mainly need is this thing that's all you if all you got is this you never go to the library this will work okay but like we said things can get tricky we understand that so i want to show you some other stuff this book is called the harmony or a harmony of the gospels lots of different publishers do this but as you know in matthew mark luke and john which is where we see our savior jesus there's a lot of passages that repeat themselves or there's different passages in different gospels about the same life death and resurrection of jesus so what this book does is it puts it all matthew mark luke and john in chronological order so that you can read about the life of Jesus as it unfolded on the earth and not skipping around from place to place depending on what the apostles put into their particular book. Like the book of John has a lot of different content than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Harmony of the Gospels, big deal. Now here's the biggest deal. This is what I would fully recommend everybody at our church have. Okay? A study Bible. Who has a study Bible? Raise your hand if you have, you own it. Praise God, that is wonderful. If you do not have a study Bible, I cannot promise this, okay? So don't be like, Mitch promised. No, I'll tell you, probably we can get you a study Bible, okay? We want you to have a study Bible. We'll at least help you get a study Bible. Okay, so study Bible, lots of good ones. This is called the ESV study Bible. Pretty good, particularly for those of you newer to the faith, new believers, very modern, all these things, but it's also good for everyone. Big idea is that it has the Bible that we just showed you, but then under here, it has all these helpful comments on the Bible. It tells you like the stuff you probably don't know, right? Like when they say, hey, that was sold for a farthing, you're like, what's a farthing? Right? We got pennies, dollars, and let's be honest, visa, no farthings. And this will help you figure all that out so that you know exactly what the Bible's saying. Now, these comments are not the Bible. They're not inspired, but they are helpful. And look like this. You wouldn't know what Jerusalem looks like. When they, the east wall. Like, oh, you have no idea. Look at the picture. Study Bible's help. Okay? And by the way, just so we're clear, I also have no idea. You know, this morning, I told you, Berea is 46 miles away from Thessalonica. You think I, like, Google Maps that? It's in the books! Okay? This one. Now, this is all online now, because... It's 2019, but I still sometimes use this big boy. This Strong's Concordance, just a dictionary for the Bible. Tell you, say, what's that word really mean in Greek? You look it up in here, tells you what it meant in Greek. And by the way, sometimes it is different. Okay, This, called a commentary. It's just like the study Bible, only there's more notes. Because this whole book is only Ezekiel through Malachi. Right? So you ever tried to read Ezekiel? It gets kind of weird. right? There's some wheel in the air made out of bones, what's going to happen? Well, this will help you figure that out. It's called a commentary. Now, if you want one of these, I'd probably go for one that says application commentary. That means it's for normal people who don't love ancient languages that no one uses. Then there's this sucker. I love this. Again, just like the study Bible, but more and more comments. Only this one's over, instead of just one or two books, the whole New Testament. It's called New Testament Survey big deal. You can read about anything in the New Testament and get all kinds of info from just a book like that. And last but not least, the only person in the room that'll probably care at all about this, 
is Daniel. But anyway, this is awesome, right? I have actually read most of this, believe it or not, even me, hooked on phonics, I could still get there, right? Systematic theology. Now, it's not the Bible, but it's a helpful tool for people who love the Bible, right? You take a doctrine, right? Take the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit from Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, I think it is, all the way through Revelation 23. So what all does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? Well, they've laid it out for you in this nifty little giant coffee table, not coffee table book. You could actually use this as a coffee table. They listed all the things the Bible says about the Holy Spirit so that you can know the entirety of the doctrine. That's why they call it systematic. The idea is it's topic by topic. Rather than searching the whole Bible for each verse, highlighting it, running out of ink, yelling at people, you can just have one of these. Now, why do I show you all those books? Here's why I show you all these books, okay? This is really the big idea, is that the, misperce- the, the, the misconception is that those are for Bible majors in Bible college. Okay, the Berean conception is that we're all to be engaged in this, not all at this big level with the systematic thing. Okay, that's more of a me and Daniel at Starbucks on a Tuesday thing, but at least at the study Bible level, at least at some level of gaining knowledge more and more as we see the day of the Lord's return approaching. That's the idea, that you're not supposed to believe what's true based on what your parents said is true, based on what I said is true, based on what your school said is true, based on what your grandpa said is true. You're supposed to know what's true because you searched. That's noble. That's the call. It's to be a Berean. That's what we want our whole church to do. That's what we want everyone to do. That's what we want you to do. We want you to listen, to learn, to search the scriptures, to know the truth, believe the truth, and then, and this is beautiful, you will protect the truth. You know the greatest enemy facing us is the lie. We need people to protect us from the lie. We need people to protect your family from lies. We need people to protect your friends from lies. We need to protect our church from lies. How do we do that? We'd be Bereans. Bereans protect the truth. In fact, that's what the end of the text tells us. They protect the truth. Right? They protect the most precious thing known to man. They protect the thing that saves all men. They protect the thing that all men need. The gospel. The gospel. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, Acts 17, 13. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, They came there also and stirred up the people. And immediately the brethren, that means the Bereans that just became believers, they sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea. And Silas and Timothy abode there. They stayed in Berea. Because really, they're not worried about dying. It's really Paul the Thessalonians are after, because he's the preacher. Verse 15, it says, And they that conducted Paul brought him to Athens. So he goes across the sea, goes to Athens in Greece, and... Uh, they received a commandment from Paul saying to Silas and Timothy for them to come with all speed. So Paul says, hey, as soon as you're done there in Berea, come to me. And once they got that message, they departed back to Berea to deliver that message to Timothy and Silas. So here's, let me just break down what we just saw. This is like Christian 007, right? This is like Christian mission impossible. That's what this is, 
Okay? Thessalonians come into town. They're going door to door, not to win souls, but to murder one, a guy named Paul. Not a huge fan of Paul, so they're trying to take him out of his preaching circuit. They're knocking on doors. This word gets around. The Jewish people of the synagogue who just became Christians, they figure out Paul's in danger. And instead of caring what the Thessalonican synagogue is going to think, instead of, you know, thinking, you know, what if we are harmed or any of that, they smuggle Paul out of Berea to the coast, put him on a ship, and get him as far away as possible to a place called Athens. Paul, his associates, Silas and Timothy, they stay back, probably to raise up elders and deacons and to get the church settled and established. And then as soon as they're done, they're supposed to go meet him in Athens because what's happened in Berea is done. But isn't that kind of cool? Like, they go from not knowing the gospel to, like, some kind of Christian, like, uh, I don't know, like, Ninja Turtle game, like, getting it out of there and safe. They don't just love the truth and believe the truth. They're now going to protect the truth so that the truth can go on, so that it can be unleashed on the world. That's what we want at Griggs. We want the truth of Jesus to be unleashed on the world. That's what Bereans want. That's what you should want. We must protect the truth, and you can only protect it if you've listened and you've searched. You know how much less prosperity gospel there would be if every Christian listened and searched? How much less postmodernism there would be if we listened and searched? How much less, fill in the blank with whatever heresy you want, how much less there would be if we listened and we searched? So many people would be protected from those lies. That's why we want you to be a Berean. That's why the world needs you to be a Berean. That's why Jesus wants you to be a Berean, because he is the truth. And he wants you to find him. Those who seek me will find me when they search for me with all their heart. You go ahead and listen. You go search the scriptures, and you find God no matter who he is. Not just your idea of God, no matter who he is. And if you will search for God, no matter who he is, you will find that he is a Galilean carpenter born in a hick town to a poor family that was actually God from above, become a man who loved the world so much, he not only taught them how to live by his life as an example, but took their sin for them so that they could have eternal life with him. Amen? That's what you will find. But I don't want you to believe it because I say I want you to find it. So, listen to learn. Search the scriptures. Know your stuff. Seek. Every day, seek to answer this question. Do I want God or do I want my idea of God? Let's pray and we will worship together. Jesus, Thank you so much that you gave us the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you inspired the Bible. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you illuminate the Bible to us if we will search it. Thank you that we don't have to open a scroll, an endless scroll, but have convenient access to the Bible whenever and wherever we are. 
forgive us that we have totally, and I mean totally, taken that for granted. And beyond a shadow of a doubt, basically denied our blessed privilege of being alive in this age and have sold our birthright because we have it in all forms, in our language, and we have it all the time at our fingertips, and we don't even come close sometimes to being Bereans. Lord, help us to repent and be Bereans and to listen to really listen to people because they matter so much to you and they matter to us and to search, to really care about what the Bible says so that myths, even myths from our own denomination, even myths from good Christian friends of ours don't become lies that hurt people, but rather we fight for truth that always frees people. For you yourself said the truth will set you free. So we pray the truth would set us free, that we might search for it, and we pray that we'd protect it. Because just like you loved the world and gave your son, we should love the world and show them your son. In Jesus' name, amen.